0: Hello and welcome to episode two of Kaleidoscope with me, Bella.
1: And me, Libby. This is a podcast all about shaking up perspectives as we look through the Kaleidoscope at culture and social issues in different and challenging
0: ways. We want to use this space to engage in discussion. What we're not here to do is come up with black and white answers to everything we discuss and we definitely don't claim to be right all the time. So please don't come at us because we are learning too. But if you like the idea of thinking about or rethinking aspects of society, then Kaleidoscope is the podcast for you. We also
1: have some thoughts on what we have consumed this week with some great recommendations.
0: We're so grateful for all the support from the last episode, and we've been touched to see people sharing the podcast with their friends. We've had some interesting responses too. Prompted by us talking about white privilege when referring to the film Waves and Queen and Slim, one listener asked if we knew that in the UK, white working class boys were the least likely to succeed in the UK?
1: We realised that was a really interesting point. Um, and we recognise that there are different types of privilege other than white privilege, such as being male, heterosexual, cisgender, able-bodied, and in the case pointed out, socio-economic or class privilege. But we just happened to be using the examples that were focusing on the colour of your skin and how that can affect your starting point in life there are clearly other factors that can make a person feel they have to go beyond being average to get the same results as someone with a privilege that they don't have
0: we really like the same listener pointed out that advice is always given in destructive ways messaging that when people are wrong it's always why have you done that you're a mess i can't believe you're in this position everyone looks to reaffirm people's failures with a harsh but true mantra rather than helping that person build a framework to avoid it happening again. So this really comes down to whether perfection is even remotely achievable. Um, I also think that says a lot about the person that's reaffirming someone's failures Mm -hmm. and how they're almost reveling in it. Um, I think that in some ways it's a relief that someone other than us has messed up or reveals or projects a sense of their self-doubt, which makes you feel less alone and judgmental of yourself. Like I had this recently um, at a dinner party Um, with a couple of mates of mine, and um, one of them really honestly opened up about something personal to her. Um, And through that kind of courageous act, I guess, of opening up and showing her vulnerable side, she then allowed us all, and each person at the table, opened up about something else. So I think it is about, yeah, when you are less judgmental of others and you realise that everyone else is accepting of their own failures, then you're less judgmental of yourself. And yeah, yeah that's really interesting,
1: actually. Everyone's more like you than you think. Very true. Yeah. So if you want to engage in the discussion too, or share any recommendations, please DM us on our Instagram, at kaleidoscope underscore
0: podcast. For anyone who didn't listen to the last episode... You definitely should. We will just quickly introduce <laughs> ourselves.
1: Hi, I'm Libby, and I study English literature here at Exeter. And I'll have a go at just about anything that has a creative agenda... I honestly can't help but be direct, which is why I get called savage by my nearest and dearest. But I'm also super open-minded. Challenge me if you dare.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And I'm Bella and I study drama here at Exeter. I'm known for diving into pretty much every society known to man. I've tried them all. Um, My interest in a wide array of hobbies, views and people leads me to being open to hearing everyone's opinions. And kaleidoscopes are a way of questioning important subjects. Mm.
1: It's also really important to us that we try and acknowledge our own bias and privilege in any given discussion.
0: Right, that's us then. And this is Kaleidoscope.
1: On this episode, we look through the kaleidoscope at celebrity activism or slacktivism. So it kind of came onto this subject because I was thinking that it it seems that every celebrity with a platform has something political to say when they come into the limelight, especially when we've just had award season. It's kind of like the time of
0: red carpet activism. But the thing is, do they actually, do celebrities have that power? Like many celebrities get criticised for not speaking up about global issues which have importance to them or speaking on behalf of people that perhaps have better knowledge over some subjects? Mm,
1: I do know what you mean I feel but I just kind of think that we've seen a lot of politically tinged speeches that gain a lot of applause at the moment but then I'm thinking like do they really mean anything there are celebrities that feel that a speech at an award show alone is enough to address an issue of like inequality while not really doing anything else with their power um I read uh Yvette Dion, Editor-in-Chief of Bitch Media, um, I read something that she wrote and she said that the biggest criticism I have about the way Hollywood has used the red carpet to make protest statements is that it's always temporary. It's just one thing in the moment and it's not lasting. So it doesn't feel like it's going to have a real impact.
0: I get that, but I also think that these speeches can definitely have an impact. Although it's temporal, it can have a long lasting effect and the global impact that a celebrity can have in terms of like social media um, appraisal, like for instance, Joaquin Phoenix at the Mm. Oscars. What he addressed was quite profound in the sense that he he covered all social issues, um, including racism, misogyny, intolerance, inequality, council culture, and even animal rights um, in a really eloquent form. Um, and I felt like he used this, he used the few the minute or so they have um, to 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 speak, in order to speak about people that aren't just himself. And I think that that's a really important thing to do in terms of using your position um, in a positive format. Yeah, but d- he also has had a lot of criticism.
1: I definitely can't deny that. Obviously, it's a huge platform, and he is doing something with it. And it, I can't deny it gets a lot of attention and I'm definitely playing devil's advocate here or just being cynical savage me but um, I found an interesting view on his speech by Harriet Hall in The Independent who said his white male saviour speech at the Oscars was painful to watch. For me I feel like that might be going a bit too far but reading her article I do kind of think that she has a point um, she does acknowledge that it, it is a good speech in part, um, talking about um, so many issues, but it's kind of the way that he roped them all in together. It was a bit like a tick box list of like, let me show you that I know about all of these things. And Hall's standpoint, which I kind of get, um, is that it seemed quite weird to and insensitive to lump together. Um, Speaking about injustices of racism, women, the gay community in the same breath as milking cows. I know someone that, you know, is a vegan and thinks animal rights are just as important, you know, might have a bit of backlash to me saying that. But it just seems to highlight his own like white male privilege that that's the sort of thing that he focuses on the most when it's like the other struggles have such like long history and yeah I I
0: completely get that but I guess he's talking from like you just said a, a position where he feels like that mean, he, he is a vegan so it means something it's close to his heart and I feel like he's addressing that um, from his point of view and not Imposing his own white privilege, I guess, onto subjects that he might not know enough about. Then why mention those subjects at all? Like because just then it's because I think you need to use your platform too, and I think he would have been criticised if he hadn't, and he, if he had only spoken about veganism, he would have been. Other people would have been like, "Well, what about the other other issues, which are perhaps, like you're saying, in many cases, more important, or yeah. are they? You know, should should we be hierarch- You know, putting these issues in a hierarchical scale? Um, many many listeners might. I'd be interested in to what, to what degree they think mm. that issues come in different scales um, of yeah. importance.
1: I definitely think it is a fine line because it's clearly beneficial for people to act as allies, whether that's sincere or not. I don't know why I'm being so cynical. Um, yeah. To oppress groups, but they're also going to face criticism in doing so because uh, it's just such a...
0: I think it's also interesting that... well. He got backlash from a Wangari farmer um, who basically said that he was tired of actors speaking on subjects that he believes they know nothing about. Well, that um,
1: always happens. Which,
0: which I thought was quite interesting. Yeah, but particularly in this case with mm. Joaquin um, and talking about animal animal rights. Um, so I, th- I think, I think we can take into account that maybe some of these actors or celebrities don't know enough about particular issues or do they like I think sometimes we're undermining that although they're in the arts it doesn't mean that they're necessary not that they're necessarily not intellectual beings and human beings like yeah, I think it doesn't make them experts though no it doesn't make them experts but I don't think we can also undermine the value that they have to speak and also everyone has the right to speak about anything and yeah. I think you know we're in a democratic country and not all countries are but you, do you know what I mean like I think
1: yeah I think I could have maybe stayed on board with him in his speech until he did the bit at the end, which sounds really harsh because I know that his brother died and everything. It's a really tragic death. But to quote a song lyric by his brother that is, run to the rescue of love and peace will follow, um, obviously turns his whole speech quite personal. And you're saying you're praising him for, you know, seeing the bigger picture but then he does the opposite and for me I can see how that sort of is an example of the white savior complex thinking that you can just rescue something with love and peace like I don't really think that's the situation that we're in at the moment that's really I think undermines the but then it literally just seems like at the end he's sprinkling his speech with like oh look how like emotional and loving I am but I think what does that achieve
0: well it doesn't but then you could say the same with just shouting and being angry about all the issues that are going on. Like It's is not it one ha- or the other. But I think by kind of inserting a sprinkle, I guess, of hope at the end of something quite serious allows human beings to kind of allow themselves to, to look for something and to actually do something about it instead of feeling really depressed and going home and not doing yeah. anything about it.
1: But is that really doing anything about it? I've literally been rolling my eyes that whole time. I just feel like... The lyric doesn't really offer anything. We need more action than just love. It seems like a really romanticised and idealistic view that I don't think fully embraces just how deep the struggles he's talking about are. It feels like quite an empty utterance But he's only got a
0: minute or so to talk about. Like, you can't talk... Yeah, but
1: why end it with a sprinkle of, like, love? It does nothing. Well, I like (laughs) love, Libby, and I think you're (laughs) being really (laughs) (laughs)
0: pessimistic.
1: I like love too as much <laughs> as an ex person, but I just feel like, no, like that I isn't. What you're I don't think it was the best way to end the speech. I think it gets that like you know reaction that you had where it's like, oh wow, wasn't that really nice oh speech? <laughs> it was
0: such-
1: love you, bells. <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: yeah, you see where I'm coming from. Though. I do see where I'm coming from. Well, on that note, should we move on to a different <laughs> topic? <laughs>
1: yeah for sure no I know I've been really cynical um I'm playing devil's advocate here I do get that there is some kind of nice sentiment there but I am kind of interested in how the speaking out at the moment has become quite an on-trend thing
0: yes Um, yeah no I, I can totally see that and
1: then I'm like oh god they're just doing it because it looks good but even if they are only doing it because it looks good if it still has an impact i guess it doesn't really matter like does their intentions matter if it has a positive effect exactly anyway?
0: yeah yeah no um I, th- I think that it's sad but like i think intentions are important but at the same time if you're vocalizing something and using your platform for the good whether the intentions are there or not whether they're actually for a branding kind of job or some sort of business transaction at least they're promoting something ethical in comparison to something which is not um
1: but is it an on trend thing like is this not going to last very long or is it celebrity culture changing like
0: the role of the celebrity is that changing at the moment well it's it's definitely changed. like looking back in time Mm -hmm. um i was reading this article by mark harvey um, who was the author of Celebrity Influence, Politics, Persuasion, Issue-Based Ad- Advocacy. Um, and within that, he's talking about how celebrities are advocate- advocating on their own didn't actually start till the 60s and 70s. Um, so that's because basically up until that time, most actors and, and moral clauses in their contracts kept them from making politically divis- divisive statements. And... Um, they'd otherwise they'd suffer potential career ending consequences which I don't think we actually take into enough consideration when we criticize celebrities we jump to it because you don't realize like the backlash in terms of all their contracts and their producers which are involved in helping them create statements when they put them forward um so yeah I do have to I do think we need to consider that, that they're not completely independent of um people being in the do you know what I mean like people editing what they're saying um and I'm not sure if necessarily they they would want to or they'd want to say more about some some things in particular but saying that um the fall of the studio system in Hollywood in the 70s gave them much more leeway to take political stances with many celebrities like Warren Beatty and Jane Fonda speaking out against the Vietnam War for example um and there are so there are a lot of celebrities that go against that and kind of are brave in conducting outbursts and kind of um, boycotting situations so like Marlon Brando he was renowned for this famous um, award speech which he didn't he didn't he didn't basically didn't pick up his Oscar award and um, Sasheen Littlefeather at the 1973 Oscars read out a speech against the stereotyping of Native Americans by Hollywood and he didn't he boycotted the, the Oscars by not accepting the award so people would take into account the issues and the stereotyping surrounding native american culture
1: part of this red carpet activism i've been talking about at the moment isn't just speeches or like you just said sort of like not accepting award but it's come into lots of different avenues so one of the things was clothes Mm, fashion um yeah yeah, i wonder if that sort of makes it feel more like an on-trend thing at the moment um especially because of the way like what you're wearing on the red carpet gets featured in magazines yeah So, um, for instance, we looked at Natalie Portman attending this year's Oscars wearing a Dior cape that had the names of snubbed women directors embroidered onto the fabric. Um, This included Greta Gerwig, Lorenz Scafaria, Lulu Wang, to name a few. Um, But then Rose McGowan called her out, writing in a statement that Portman's protest dress disgusted her because Portman doesn't act actually practice what she preaches because she doesn't really work with... with women directors, Yeah. yeah female directors. Yeah. Um, she described her as being, quote, like an actress as acting the part of someone who cares, as so many of them do. I find Portman's type of activism deeply offensive to those of us who actually do the work, unquote. I just don't think it's enough to just show something.
0: No. I think that have we mindlessly prioritise the message that celebrities have over that of professors or experts or victims even. Um, Is it possible that celebrity activists are the vehicle to affect the change that we meet and face? Um, So on that wave of that kind of train of thought, um, I found this fact from the perspective which stated that 66% of people surveyed in a recent poll could not link a celebrity with their sponsor charity. Um, And these numbers suggest that celebrity is not enough to sell an idea, but we're more likely to hear about climate change from the likes of Matt Damon or Leonardo DiCaprio than the professional environmentalist Al Gore um, or actual climate scientists. So in many cases, it's found that the celebrity name will stick while the cause won't, leaving actual experts desperate for an audience and a platform to speak. So I think we have to be careful that like Libby said previously, that we're, we're not just listening to people and taking things as fads or trends and we're actually doing something about it and we're not just leaving the auditorium thinking that we can just spread love, yeah. like Joaquin Phoenix said.
1: So would you say that celebrities
0: have a social responsibility then? I think they have a social responsibility, but to an extent they need to then hand over the mic to someone else who perhaps has more... Knowledge on the subjects.
1: It's kind of like in the same way when people are a good ally, they're not just speaking on behalf of someone else. They're raising up their voices and knowing when
0: to pass the mic to exactly. to a victim or someone that's experienced yeah. it firsthand, um, or interpreting it in their own way. So, for instance, like Taylor Swift, she's an advocate of the LGBTQ community, um, and she's a political ad- activist um, within that um but she she says something in her art so she's a singer if people don't know taylor swift is um and she often uses her lyrics in order to empower and to spread awareness about things that matter to her um she didn't initially do this and she got a lot of criticism for that um which i think is is interesting to take on board at last year's vmas um viewed by 4.9 million people Taylor Swift used her airtime while accepting an award for video of the year to call out President Trump's administration for not responding to her equality act petition which basically protects LGBTQ people from discrimination in their places of work home school and other public accommodations but yeah so just three years ago though she was condemned by many for her silence during the 2016 US election so I think going back to the idea of like if celebrities don't speak at all, they're criticised, but then if they speak too much or they speak on behalf of communities that perhaps um, many feel they, they don't have enough um, kind of, I guess, information on, then do they have the right to speak at all? But yeah, I think it's interesting like how she talked about, unfortunately at the time, you had a political opponent who was recognising the idea of the celebrity endorsement He was going around saying, I'm a man of the people. I'm for you. I care about you. And she just knew that she wasn't going to help. Um, And she was like, would I be an endorsement or would I be a liability? She didn't realize until recently that she could advocate for a community that she's not a part of. Um, She says that it's, it's hard to know how to do that without being so fearful of making a mistake that you just freeze. Because my mistakes are very loud. When I make a mistake, it echoes through the canyons of the world. It's clickbait. And it's a part of my life story. And it's part of my career arc. Um, so I think that's really important to consider.
1: I've read quite a bit of criticism about her anthem. You need to calm down her LGBTQ acceptance am- anthem, um, and how because it, f- it featured a lineup of queer celebrities, she got accused of um, queer baiting. Um, do
0: you think that is true? That's what she's done. Um, would you would you go into detail a bit more about why exactly she? what, in what sense she was queerbaiting?
1: In the sense that she is using the LGBTQ community like for her advantage in this music video, like having a lot of like queer icons. Um, She's identifying as an ally, but I think the criticism, I'm not sure if I actually believe this, but but the criticism goes that her allyship is bordering on appropriation to her own benefit.
0: I, I think Taylor, she, I think Swift is trying to do the most she can within the position that she can. And I think by criticizing that, it just, it puts her in a position where I think it she might not do anything. And, and she was definitely criticized for that. Like people have said, is Taylor Swift a bad activist? Like why all the advocacy talk now? Has she even done enough in the past to warrant her outspokenness? In comparison to like ugly Betty star, America Ferrera's on the ground activism um so I think it's really difficult because you you get judged if you're not politically engaged all the time and then you do if you 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 don't warrant within that and you're not um a part of that or you or you don't or you're not particularly affected by an issue yeah
1: um
0: so I, I think I actually I think I disagree with that criticism
1: yeah I think I can understand why in the moment of her producing that LGBTQ anthem it was really wrapped up in this queer culture aesthetic with rainbows like so and um, she was slightly
0: glamorizing yeah in
1: terms of well not gl- I think glamorizing might be the wrong word but I guess it's just using it in the moment for like a, a new aesthetic yeah. for Taylor Swift and I do get that for her change extent. her aesthetic change. yeah but yeah. I think with what you were saying about how she um she made a call out to President Trump's administration um, and was actively doing stuff to do with the Equality Act petition. I think that is almost more redeeming because like we were saying, which is different to Natalie Portman, who just did the aesthetic side of it. She is backing it up with actual action. And I think that's a difference. Yeah. I guess part of Taylor's activism then is, her celebrity activism is, putting politics into her art yeah for sure um and that made me think about dave's rap black that he performed at the brits which was already an existing song but then he added a verse um have you listened to it Mm, yes i have yeah um first of all i just want to say i found out when i was looking into this that he is 21
0: no he's not yeah
1: Imagine writing stuff like that when you're 21, going on a stage that big and performing. Go on Libby. (laughs) My time has come. Um, But basically, um, Kahind Andrews in The Guardian um, put it quite well. He hailed it as the moment that Grime truly gave full-throated and undeniable voice to the politics of Black Britain. So he basically added a verse to his song, Black, that condemned Boris as a real racist Um, had commentary on Windrush reparations. Um, He mentioned Grenfell, and there was a tribute to those um, London Bridge victims, Jack Merritt and Saskia Jones. He also said um, about how, if you're black, um, you're working twice as hard as the people you know you are better than, which really relates to what we were talking about last week um, and being at a disadvantaged starting point and not being able to just settle for average in that case. Um I just thought it was quite interesting because I think that is a really powerful way to give a message rather than a speech is in theatre, music, art, um any of those forms. Um
0: it's definitely very engaging. Yeah. I
1: think I think the format is is crucial. Mm. Um, And obviously there's black artists that have made political tracks in the past. It it seems to be a growing thing, though, that it's in mainstream music, like same with Stormzy. It's like everyone's listening to it. Um, As in, Dave won Best Album, and after the awards ceremony, the streaming of his song Black had a spike to nearly 200%. But I guess the sort of bad thing about it is... Um, grime being associated with hypermasculinity, sexualized and violent imagery, means it becomes like this representation of blackness that people are familiar with, and it reinforces that link between black people and urban crime, which is quite a limited viewpoint of blackness. And then, also, there are more than three hundred complaints that his Dave's performance was racist against white people. Luckily, um, these complaints have been rejected by the UK media watchdog, so no like actions being taken about that. It seems like s- quite a strong way then to get a message across um, through the medium of art. Um, would you say that that's the best way um, for celebrities to take a stance on something? Or would you still think that speeches are more powerful?
0: I think a combination of the two. I think that celebrities should use... What they know and like their own skill set in order to promote something because like that is what people can relate to as well mm. and they they're using their own medium in order to promote something which I think actually makes their message more have more integrity to it
1: especially when they're consistently making yes. the, that those similar messages rather than just doing it for a fad if it's like that consistently runs throughout the art I think that's yeah. a lot more compelling and um, believable. That's weird. <laughs> um, but I was thinking as well that there's particular actions that celebrities can take which are more more effective than just saying these um, speeches at award ceremonies. So, for instance, F- Frances McDormand finished her 2018 Oscar speech with the phrase, "I have two words for you: inclusion, right." Um, So basically she challenged Hollywood to take practical steps to tackle inequality, emphasis on practical. She's saying to celebrities that you can put a provision in your contract that provides for a certain level of diversity in not only the casting but the production staff of like the film that you're working on. And as soon as she said this um, and basically publicised that you can make an inclusion rider. Other celebrities offered a lot of public support to the idea, um, responding to her on Twitter and social media. Um, It's also something that came to my attention quite recently because I was watching Graham Norton's show. Love that show. Love Graham Um, (laughs) Norton. Jamie Foxx and Michael B. Jordan were talking about a film that they're in. I think it might be out now. I haven't actually seen it. It's called Just Mercy. And it's one of the first films to be made with an inclusion rider meaning that there had to be fair representation across the cast and crew so obviously the actual art itself is having an impact because it's educating on systemic racism in America but also Michael B Jordan is influencing Hollywood to change for the better um within the production itself and how he's running that. And I think that's obviously super powerful because that is like practical actions to make change rather than just promoting it through yeah, speeches. Yeah, fictional
0: change as well. Like I think we have to remember yes. that like you're, you're telling a story, but we also need to realise that there's, there are stories going on behind the screen yeah. and the whole production of it needs to be influenced um, to change the social justice system. Yeah. I think going back to the original term you used at the start, slacktivism is something we need to address to our listeners. Um, Now, slacktivism is a recently new term and it describes people who consider themselves online activists but are actually more concerned with appearing to join the right cause. But in actuality, they're actually not doing very much and they're doing as little as possible to make a difference. So this comes to the conclusion of when activism is a trend misinformation then runs rampant and I think the culture of failure puts so much pressure on succeeding that we forget like we said in our previous episode how to sit back and actually educate ourselves and to take the time to decide what we believe in and I think most importantly how to act on these beliefs. Mm. So Bells what is your
1: rose and thorn of the week your good and your bad thing that's happened to you?
0: Oh right I think I'm gonna start with the bad and then we'll get to the good. So my thorn was failing my driving test. Womp,
1: womp.
0: <laughs> womp, womp. Yeah, it was oh, quite tragic. <laughs> and it's a little bit of a tender subject. But um yeah, no, it didn't go to plan. <laughs> um I failed miserably. Honestly, if I could go into enough detail right now, I would, but I don't want to bore you all with my driving inabilities so yeah so that was my failure but you know what I'm coming back at it getting back on that horse and test number two is coming my way okay that's my thorn and my rose my rose is I cooked a great paella a vegan paella oh, which I never cooked
1: before,
0: um for a few girls on the weekend for a dinner party which was lovely um and I highly rec- recommend the recipe from Delicious Ella um I didn't know that you could put coconut milk into a into a paella, but Weird. that was one of the ingredients and it tasted peg. Well, so. I guess
1: <laughs> my thorn is not being invited to the dinner party. Well, <laughs> Libby, I, will be,
0: I will be making <laughs> many, many more curries to come. Paellas even. So <laughs> <laughs> what was your rose and thorn of the week? Right, so
1: I actually had a really good week. So I'm struggling for a thorn, but I'm gonna say that my thorn is that all these years, it turns out I can't use my inhaler. It ain't easy being wheezy kids. And I had an asthma review and she basically told me that I've been using my inhaler wrong for 15 years. So I've got to change my technique. That's a real so struggle. Yeah, so all my asthma kids out there, I hope you understand how that feels. But my rose was, I genuinely had the best weekend. I went to London with my family and me and my sisters cooked my parents a three-course Caribbean meal.
0: Yum. And recommendations, what have you seen or read this week that has inspired you
1: honestly i'm hitting you guys hard with this recommendation i'm only giving myself one recommendation because i need to take time on this go on then libs i went to the theater on saturday as part of my dad's present and i saw a play called passover at the kiln theater in kilburn and it was absolutely phenomenal In case you hadn't realised already, I'm very interested in race studies and identity politics. And this was the best social commentary I'd seen on racial issues in any art form. I'm quite bad at summing up my recommendations. So I've stolen this from Arifa Akbar's review in The Guardian. She said that Antoinette Noandu's powerful, absurdist urban tragedy sees two black homeless men, cowed by the ever-present threat of police brutality, pursue their own American dream. I found the absurdist part super interesting because it's inspired by Beckett's Waiting for Godot.
0: Mm. You know that? Yes. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, and the two black men have like incredible chemistry with their play fighting, and they speak about passing over into a life that's not defined by police persecution indulging in fantasies of like ordering all this like amazing food if they were in a hotel penthouse. Um, And it's like got really funny moments like that when they're talking about eating caviar. It speaks to America directly about white on black violence. But I really hope that British people realize it's still super relevant here, especially with what we were talking about um, with Dave's rap at the Brits. It was really clever. And that you didn't really know where the narrative would end up. Um, and I looked over at the end and my family were all in tears, but I couldn't even be sad because I was so excited about what the production had achieved. And although it's on in London and a lot of people aren't in the London area, it actually has been made into a, a film version of the play um, directed by Spike Lee, which you can watch on Amazon Prime. So that's I why that. I need everyone to watch this. I haven't watched the film version yet. Um, so I'm gonna watch that as well. I'll tell you guys what I think compared to the play, but Definitely, definitely. I cannot plug this more. Like, I'm so excited speaking about it now. Oh. I hope that comes across. So, <laughs> so that's sense. my recommendation. Get on it. <laughs> you, Bells?
0: I, um, I saw an amazing film, actually, um, on the weekend. It was National, International Women's Day on Sunday. Um, and I was very lucky to see the Feminista Film Festival, which was on at the Phoenix, which is our local independent cinema here in Exeter. Um, and it's so good. I highly recommend it. I literally saw two films on the weekend for £5 each. And I just so think good. it's just such a lovely cinema and, and it's very cheap as well. Reasonable. This film was celebrating International Women's Day and it had a selection of short films telling the most inspiring stories about women and girls from around the world. Um, which includes like eight festival favourites, films from Wales to Pakistan, um, from swimmers to activists, inspiring all different generations. Um, I was particularly moved by um, one of the stories which was about a woman who had a miscarriage and she just her whole life deteriorated after that she became really depressed and she started hating her body um, and she then kind of comes out of that hole of self-doubt and um, and self-hate as well by falling in love with open water swimming which I found really fascinating Um, in terms of finding an outlet where she then fell in love with her body again and began to kind of embrace all the curves and lumps and bumps um, by going into extreme conditions and just kind of releasing herself and her mind from these expectations that she imposed on herself and I think especially after having such a traumatic experience like a miscarriage um, you do start self-doubting your body and thinking that you're not good enough or that like why me like why can I not create something inside of me so I thought it was such an empowering story my only criticism of the film, um, the selection of films, was that I didn't feel like there was necessarily a great variety, um, a, a good enough variety, in terms of diversity within the film. There weren't any um, black lives mentioned or, or black women mentioned, which I, which I found to be um, quite exclusionary in some respects. That means it's not intersectional feminism that's a problem yeah which was a problem um but it it definitely reached out to different ages and 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 did reach out to Pakistani girls um and other minority groups but I just felt it was its intentions were in the right place but it maybe didn't deliver um to the biggest degree that I felt like it it could have the potentiality in in doing so I absolutely loved it Um, But I think we need to be aware when we're representing or talking about inspiring stories from international um, appraisal, we need to make sure that it's inclusive in all respects. That's my recommendation, and I'm going to also leave you with a rather different recommendation. Oh, here we go. Um, So I've suddenly discovered the dating app, Hinge, um, which... (laughs) i've absolutely fallen in love with it's brilliant dates left right, and <laughs> dates right right left left right and center and um yeah it's just a great platform in order to meet people and um i've heard great things from people and i'm having great great things from so you would <laughs> recommend it though i would recommend it is all i'm gonna say i um, haven't
1: i obviously haven't got it but i have had a look through other people's and i feel like it is a bit of a trend at the moment Quite Yeah, a lot of our gal pals have I got on, got it. on it was so empowering to quite a so cool just. way to do dating i think
0: yeah so um yeah i'm promoting hinge i think it's a way forward and i think we need to stop the stigma around dating apps as well because i think there is a massive stigma about something being wrong with you if you're going on it or you being lonely and not being sociable enough
1: and not i against. just
0: think yeah i think we actually if we're busy people like myself included it's very difficult to put it down to fate and finding someone at your front door or (laughs) walking into a shop. So I think- We're going to leave it there. And yeah, so thanks for listening to our second episode of Kaleidoscope. And please listen and follow us on our Instagram as well.
1: And follow us on SoundCloud as well, if you have SoundCloud. If you don't have SoundCloud, make an account so you can follow us. Exactly. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. Thanks, bye.